You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 3 through 9 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you, just in a, underneath the seat in front of you, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 3 through 9. Now, most people, myself included, many times think that if we could just get rid of the problems that are in our lives, everything would be great. If I were to ask you if you thought that that were true, probably most of us would put our hand up. Well, that sounds pretty amazing, right? If I just didn't have to do this, or if I just didn't have to deal with that, then my life would just be fine. And you could fill in the blank as the what you think those things are. But here's the problem. The problem with that is that's not how life works, right? Life doesn't work that way. And actually, the greatest challenge in our life is really not our problems. Let me say that again. The greatest challenge in our life is really not our problems. The greatest challenge in our lives is what we believe in the midst of our problems. We are in Christ. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ, and Christ is in us. And when Christ is in us, he gives us a dramatically different way of looking at things, a whole new perspective. That's the explosive outworking of a life of faith the freedom to actually have a new perspective, a new way of looking at things while you are experiencing the problems of life. Now, this letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, if you look at verse 1, before we get into the text we're going to look at, if you look at verse 1, it says that this letter was written to a group of people who are called elect Exiles. In fact, you will not find any other letter in the New Testament that starts like this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. That word elect means that they were chosen, that they were set apart by God himself. It's the word that was used in the Old Testament to define the people of God. This is a a dramatic statement that Peter is saying to these people. He's saying, you are the people of God. He's chosen you. He's set you apart. You are elect, and you are exiles, he says. Exiles. That's not as cool as elect. They're exiles. They're people who have been kicked out of their homes because of this dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. They had to leave their home. They were wandering. They were moving to new places. And you say, why, 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 why? Why is this happening in their lives? Well, as you read through the book of 1 Peter, it becomes fairly clear fairly quickly in this letter that the reason why they're experiencing this challenge and this problem of exile is not because of their disobedience, but because but because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They're being persecuted for their faith. They're being called upon to submit themselves to harsh rulers. They're suffering even like Jesus did for their faith in Jesus Christ. So even though they have been 
chosen by God, they have these challenges. They've been chosen, they've been set apart, but they've got these challenges. And so God reminds them, and he's going to remind us this morning in verses 3 through 9 of two very important truths that lead them and will lead us to having a new perspective in the midst of our problems, a different way of seeing things. You and I need to hear this today. You need to hear this, these important truths. So let's jump in. You ready? Wow. (laughs) All I have to say is, wow. Are you ready? All right. Verse 3. Look at verse 3. Here's where he starts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Elect exiles. Here, he says, here, here, pay attention to this. This is where I want to start. I want to start with this, and this is where you need to start with. You need to start right here if you want to gain a new perspective in the midst of the problems of your life. You start right here with what? My future is secure. My future is secure. Worship God for what he has already done, verses 3 and 4. He starts with this word, blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, is, this word blessed is a different word than what's used in Psalm 1 where it says blessed is the man or in the Beatitudes where it says blessed are the um, poor in spirit, right? You know, those, all these different kinds of statements. Those are, that's a different word. That's a different word than what's being used here in this, in this passage here in verse 3 for the word blessed. The word blessed here is not a statement of fact. He's not trying to say that God is blessed. Not trying to say that God is blessed. It's actually a a word or a statement of action. When you see the word blessed, you should understand it this way. We're supposed to bless God. Literally, the word means speak him well. Absolutely, God is worthy of praise. But the emphasis in this verse is on us praising God. Elect exiles, pay attention, pay attention. Start with this. Worship God. Speak him well. Absolutely, absolutely. An emphasis on praising God. It means to ascribe to God. There's an intensity and an urgency in this word. God, you are awesome. You are amazing. There is no one like you. To the limits of your personality to the absolute limit of your personality. Bless the Lord. Grow in your passion for him. Worship him. Why? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Why? Why do I do that? Why are they supposed to respond like this? Why are you and I supposed to respond like this? Because he has caused us to be born again. Born again, when you, see, when you hear born again, that takes you right back to John chapter 3, right? In this conversation that Jesus is having 
with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus kind of goes, what? Because he's thinking about physical birth, and Jesus is talking about, help me, spiritual birth. Talking about spiritual birth. That's what we're talking about here. Or as the Apostle Paul describes it, we become a new creation in Christ. The Spirit of God in me, Christ in me. God did that. Not you. Not me. God did that. You know, I've, I've visited many uh, new moms and new babies in the hospital over the years. I've been in pastoral ministry a long time, and I've probably lost count as to the number of times I've been in a hospital room and a couple of days after a baby has been born, and I have yet, I have yet, yet to experience this, where you walk into the hospital room and somebody in the family says, wow, what an amazing baby. I can't just cannot believe what they've endured for those nine months, man. These this baby just went through all that nine-month of experience, and wow, what a champion they were in the midst of delivery. That baby was just absolutely amazing. Let's just give a standing ovation for the baby. <laughs> there is no wise father on the face of the earth that has ever said that. <laughs> right? That's, we, we don't say that. We celebrate the arrival of the baby, but we give credit to mom. So is true of our new birth in Jesus Christ. This has nothing to do with us. It's not about what we have done, but it's about what everything that God has done. Everything that God has done. And it's all because of his great mercy. And he doesn't even just say mercy. He says great mercy. All because of his great mercy. None of us in this room deserve anything but God's wrath and judgment because of sin in our lives. God's holiness demands justice for sin. But His mercy. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages, the result, the sum of sin is death, separation from God, but, but, I love it, but, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh man, his mercy. This is what the good news is. The good news is it's nothing that we do. It's what Christ has done, right? That's what it is. So we worship God because of what he has already done. And then we worship God because of the results of what he has already done. It's like, I mean, I'm like, like I'm starting with number one, and I'm like, I'm, I'm good with what I've already read. I could just close my Bible now and go home, but it's not done yet. Right? We're not done yet because he says, this is according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's given us a living hope. Hope is the sure certainty of something in the future. It's not wishful thinking. Like, I hope this happens. I'm not sure, but I hope it happens. That's not what he's talking about. This is not wishful thinking. It's not just an idea that's out there or a superstition. No, it's a certainty. It's a living hope. It's a certainty that's alive in me that as Christ 
rose from the dead, so we will rise when he returns. Man, he has caused us to be born again. Born again to what? To a living hope. And he's given us that. And he's also given us, it says here, an inheritance in verse 4 that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance is um, something that maybe some of you in your room are kind of anticipating that you're going to receive one day. You're hopeful, like in, as in wishful thinking. Right? You're waiting for that time. I remember when my grandpa died, he left me an inheritance. Now, you're not going to be impressed. So, like, I'm not going to tell you they left me a million dollars. Actually, he didn't leave me any money at all. He left me no money, like no money at all. He didn't have any money. But he left me two things. He left me a ring, right? a ring. I don't have it on today, but when, uh, it's, it's in, my, uh, in my bedroom at home. It has, it's a gold ring, and on the, on the front of it has three, his initials, WSB, William Strathcleave Bishop. He, um, he served in the Navy. He was, post, he was from Newfoundland, posted in Newfoundland, lived his whole life until he moved to Toronto area. He's a great man. I love the fact that I have a ring. Then he left me a cribbage board. You're not supposed to laugh at that. That's not funny. <laughs> he left me a cribbage board. It was actually carved out of a, out of a seal tusk. He was from Newfoundland, so it's carved out of a seal tusk and has these holes drilled in it, and, and I have it. And, and every time I see him, I'm reminded of all the times I went down into his basement with my grandfather, and I sat at this card table and we would play this game called cribbage, and he taught me how to score, 15-2, 15-4, 15-6. A run of three is nine. You know, he just kind of go through the whole thing, taught me. He taught me how to peg, peg out. You know, some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? It's not important. I'm just talking to the people that know today. You can just kind of listen. <laughs> I, I, love, I love the fact that I have that inheritance. It reminds me of so many great things. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you are God's child and God has given you an inheritance. It's called eternity, the new heavens, new earth. And did you catch how he describes it? See it? You see it in verse 4? Look, look at verse 4. It's imperishable. Do you have anything that's imperishable? It's, it's undefiled. It can't spoil. It won't lose its luster or its beauty. It's unfading. It will last forever, like the unfading crown of glory in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. It just lasts forever, and it's kept for you in heaven. It's secured for you in heaven. There's a certainty. It's actually reserved for you in heaven by God himself. Who can say that about any other kind of inheritance. Even those of you that might inherit a lump sum of cash, after the government gets half of it, you're going to spend it as fast as that. It'll be gone. 
There's nothing that compares to this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. This is so, so important to understanding these struggles of life. This is where it starts. It starts with this. My future is secure. It's secure. In Christ, no matter what this life throws at me, my future is secure. There's always, always, always a reason to worship. I love how in the Psalms, David, when he writes one of his Psalms of lament in Psalm 13, he starts his psalm like this. Listen to this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. That guy's having a really bad day. He's crying out to God, and in his emotion, this is what he's feeling. He's expressing the pain and the anguish of a challenge in his life. And this is how he ends after he's expressed all these things to the Lord. He says this in, Hebrews, in Psalm 13, verses 5 through 6. He says in verse 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will, what? Sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Your future is secure. You worship God for what he has already done. What's he done? He's caused you to be born again. He's given you a living hope. He's given you an inheritance. I'm telling you, only Christ in us gives us the freedom of this new perspective as we face the challenges of life. In the midst of the broken relationships, in the midst of the loss of love, not knowing what's next, the uncertainty of failing health, even in the face of persecution. My future is secure. There's more than now. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. So I worship him for what he has already done. That is freedom of a new perspective. That's a whole different way at looking at things while you're going through the hard times in life, is it not? So this is where we start. This is the first truth, the, the important truth here in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's this one, that our future is secure. And here's the second one. Here's the second one. The second one is this. My faith is being strengthened. Praise God for what he is doing. Not just what he's done, but what he is doing. Look at verse 5 who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, uh, not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our challenges, Jesus says in verse 6, the key phrase to this whole paragraph, he says here, rejoice. You can't be kidding me. Seriously? Rejoice? Yeah. Rejoice. He says rejoice. And, and that word rejoice means don't have a negative attitude about everything that's going around you. Don't have a negative attitude towards your circumstances, but have a sense of anticipation in the midst of them. What am I anticipating? You're anticipating. What is he talking about here? You're anticipating that God's at work. God's at work. What's he, what's he doing? Well, he's working on your faith. Three times, in verse, once in verse 5, once in verse 7, another time in verse 9, he talks about faith. This is what he's so focused in on. This is what God is so focused in on. While you're going through the tough times, the challenges of life, you need to understand God is focused on your faith. He's at work. My faith is being strengthened. Praise God for what he's doing. He loves you enough to strengthen your faith. Why, why, why is this so important? Why is it important? Why is it important that God wants to focus in on my ongoing belief in him and my trust in him that results in my faithfulness to him? Why is he so focused on this? Because it says in verse 5 that strength in faith is critical. It's critical. Do you see what it says? Look at what it says in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Strength and faith is critical. God's power is what protects and preserves us. Praise the Lord. God's power is like this secret service detail that surrounds us and gets us from one point to the next. It's like a shield over our lives. That's what God's power is like. But he says here in this verse, in verse 5, that we are being guarded by God's power through what? Come on. Through what? Faith. It's like faith is the pathway of God's powerful protection in our lives. Our faith is the pathway of God's powerful protection in our lives. God's Power in your life does not bypass your faith in God and your faithfulness to him. That's why God spends all of this time investing in you in the midst of the challenges of life so that your faith is strengthened. Why? Because he wants his power to be enacted in your life. Do you get it? He loves you so much. That when life throws these curves at you, he's going to spend time with you to strengthen your faith because he's got this power he wants to release in your life. And the pathway for that is your faith. 
Wow. So because faith is so critical, God works in our faith. Well, how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, strengthen faith, it says in verses 6 and 7. He does that by refining our faith. You see what he says in verse 6? In this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Boy, were they, they, were, they were grieved by trials. And so are some of you. So in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What, what does God do? What, he refines your faith. He uses the trials of your life to test your faith. Testing is both a discovery process and a refining process. He's looking for genuine faith. Actually, the word there means authentic faith. He uses the illustration of gold. Gold is refined or purified at a very, very hot temperature. You know, do you know what that temperature is? 1,064 degrees centigrade. Like, I have no idea how hot that is. It just like, I get hot at 35 degrees centigrade or 30 degrees centigrade. And so I'm thinking, wow, like that's, that's like super, super hot. That's over 30 times hotter than that. That's hot. What happens is, is as the fires increase and the temperature increases in the gold, as, as that happens, it, what happens is that any, if there are any impurities in the gold, because of the temperature, it rises to the surface of the gold so that the person who's overseeing the process can actually scrape those things off the top so you have what we call pure and authentic gold. Now, some of you are actually paying attention now because I started talking about gold. And that's so sad. You want to know why? Look, look at what it says. Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. So here's gold. Here's gold. Super hot, becomes pure, right? That's amazing. But it still perishes. Likewise, God uses the trial times of our lives, some of the times that are very, very hot in our lives, where the temperature rises, where it's very, very difficult, it's very, very challenging, where it's very, very, we're feeling very, very low, where God is using those experiences. Like, what is he doing? He's pressing in our, our lives, pressing in our lives to try to strengthen our faith, to make it more authentic, to make it more genuine, to make it more more real, to make it more pure. That's what he's trying to do. And by the way, that is more precious, more precious than gold because it does not perish. It's just strengthened. Strengthened faith is refined. And then strengthened faith in verse 7 results or produces a rewarding result. It says in verse 7, here's the result. It may be found a result in in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Love that. I mean, I could just see how at the, at, at the end of our journey, when, we, we, when Christ returns, when we meet him in the air, 
when, when we had this amazing experience with him, it's like, we're going to give all the praise to him for this. But I also think that in this passage, that it also means that God himself is actually going to do the same thing to us. If you're faithful in the midst of the trials, if you're faithful in the midst of the strengthening process, if you persevere with him to the end, what will he do? He'll say this, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have all these pictures of rewards and crowns of glory given to people. What's going on there? Well, what's God doing? What's he doing? He's giving praise and glory and honor to those who have endured the trials of life. I read through the book of Revelation, and I think of the martyrs who cry out, How long, Lord? How long, Lord? How long, Lord? And then we have these pictures of these saints clothed in white. Who are these people? These are the people who gave their lives for Jesus Christ. Give them some praise. That's what God says. There's a reward for those who endure. And then here, last, this, this other thing in verse 8. Verse 8. Strength in faith is also recognizable. You see that in verse 8? See what it says? It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and and filled with glory. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's, that's, you know, one of the beautiful things about this letter is we can relate to these people because these people, they never walk, they didn't walk with Jesus. They weren't around him in Jerusalem. They didn't walk with the rest of the disciples. They, they, they didn't see Jesus. They didn't know that, and yet they still loved him. That's us. If you're in Christ, that's us. That's what, that's what faith is. Isn't that what faith is? Even though you have not seen him yet, you love him. And then he goes, he says this, though you do not see him now, you, you believe in him or you trust in him. You know, trials can take you one of two directions. They're either going to draw you closer to the Lord or they're going to push you further away from him. Strength and faith, strength and faith learns over time, that in the midst of the trial that draws you closer to the Lord, you actually you actually can value the hard times because they draw you closer to the Lord. And then he says this, so you do not see him now, you rejoice with Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy is this result of a growing confidence in the promises and the plans and the provisions of God for the future. Their, their heart, our hearts are filled with hope of this secure future. That's why he says it's inexpressible because it's filled with glory. A, a view of glory. I, I know what's next. And then he says this last thing in verse 9. Strength and faith brings us home. He says in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a whole different way of looking at things. This is, such, this is so freeing. There's a freedom of this new perspective. It's not like we wish trials on ourselves or we wish trials on others, but when they come, and oh, they will come, when they come, we know this is true. God is at work. 
He wants to strengthen your faith. I was reading this week in my devotional time in Psalm 77, verse 19. I was just, you know, just, this was the psalm I was in this week, and so I was reading it, and I read this verse right near the end of the Psalm 77. It says this about God, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Now, I, I, I know he's talking about the Red Sea and taking the nation of Israel through that great experience and, and uh, you know, where the waters parted and they walked through and your way was through the sea, your path was through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. But then I started to think about it and I said, you know what? That's how God works all the time. His way is always through the sea. His path is always through the great waters. And, and you know what? We rarely ever get to see his footprints. The strength and faith knows he's there. We know he's there, right? And what's he doing? He's, he's, working, he's working on our faith while he's doing it. Only Christ in me, the power of the Spirit of God in me, can produce this explosive outworking of faith, a new freedom of perspective, a new way of seeing things. So what is it? What is it in your life right now that's causing immense challenge or immense trial or is a huge problem for you? What is it? I'll tell you, you know, I've I reflected this week over the last couple of years of my life, just these last two years, and I have to tell you, I mean, <laughs> I think I would fail most of those emotional stress test things. Like, I, there are all the points of stress in my life, and um, it's just been hard. You know, I've had these mountaintop experiences, but I've had a lot of really difficult, challenging things happen to me. Now, there have been times in my life when I've just been on my knees before the Lord and said, God, why is this happening? Is it because of sin in my life? Is it, is it because I'm not fully devoted to you? And, you know, those are the things we do. You know, we come crying to the Lord. We want to know, God, why... Why is this happening? I, there have been times when I've cried out, how long, how long, oh Lord? And I've just become convinced that the reason why he's allowed me to go through this journey is because he values me enough. He loves me enough to strengthen my faith. We worship because our future is secure. That's what he's done. We worship because our faith is being strengthened. That's what he's doing. So in a moment, we're going to do that. We're going to just get together, and we're going to worship God together. We're going to sing two songs to the Lord, and we're going to do that because we believe in our heart of hearts, even in the midst of the problems of life, that the Lord still deals bountifully towards us. Amen. Right? Let me say that again, and I'm going to hear an amen afterwards, I'm sure. Even in the midst of the problems of life, even in the midst of the problems of life, we know this is true. God deals bountifully towards us. Amen. It's true. It's true. So, Father, now, now we come before you. We're in the, in the midst of our challenges and our trials. We're going to do what we're called to do. We worship you, knowing that no matter what happens next, those of us who are in Christ 
our future is secure. And praise God, we can rejoice that our faith, the pathway of your protecting power, is being strengthened. All honor, all glory, all praise to you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand to our feet. We're going to bless the Lord. All right, we're going to bless the Lord to the limits of your personality. Maybe for some of you, maybe just a titch further than that. Okay? So the limits of your personality, we're going to bless the Lord. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Because our future is secure. Our future is secure and our faith is being strengthened. All right? So we're going to bless the Lord together, right? We're going to bless the Lord together. Bless the Lord together. He has dealt bountifully towards us. Let's come on. Let's lift the roof off this place.